Hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. After he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he came near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along, people spreading their cloaks on the ground. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully and with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. God, we thank you for your word. We are grateful that we can worship in this place. We are grateful for the grace that we know because of our liberating King, who is the way, the truth, and the life. God, we thank you for a chance to sing today and give and greet and welcome. And we thank you for a chance to open your word. Lord, as we explore these sentences, as we visualize this scene, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would give us tender hearts that would receive your word as a seed planted in fertile soil. Lord, we pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. God, we pray that you would make our hands strong and our work in this world would be as your very own. And God, we pray that a word of witness liberty and life would be found on our tongues. Lord, this is our prayer in the strong name of the Trinity. And we pray together this morning saying, Amen. Please be seated. For many of us in this room, this passage of Scripture from Luke's Gospel is a familiar scene. For some of you, it may be the very first time you have ever heard it read publicly. For all of us, it's the kind of scene we never outgrow. We, we never get so far down the road that, that this scene from Scripture doesn't cease to be shocking and puzzling and wonderful and beautiful and challenging and correcting. This is Jesus riding into the city, making a scene. It's full of sound and fury. It's full of noise. It's, it's full of controversy. It's full of praise 
and it's full of criticism. It's a collection of sentences that we do well to, to linger over for a few moments as we enter into this most holy of weeks. There's a number of ways to approach this scene. There's a number of ways to do it. In my years as a pastor, I perhaps have tried on many of them. I once preached this from the perspective of the donkey. That one didn't go over so well. And it has been retired. For today, I just want us to look at it through the lens of the Lord's needs and the Lord's deeds. You see that phrase, the Lord needs it. You see it a couple of times here. Perhaps we need to begin this holy week thinking about a Messiah King that has just a few needs. And Jesus did. And didn't hide them under a bushel or stick them under a rock. He just said, I need. Almost like he said, I thirst. He said, I need. What did Jesus need in this text? Well, number one, he needed some disciples, and there was a, a multitude of them. And one day he said to two of them, guys, come here. I have a job for you. I have an errand for you to run. But when I grew up, uh, I grew up working on a construction site. We always wanted to be the ones to get to run errands. We, we called it windshield time. You could turn on the air conditioning and ride around town and pick up that box of bolts. Uh, it was kind of a little treat to get to be the errand runner. I rarely ever got to be the errand runner because I was the boss's boy. I just looked in envy as Joe and Luther went off to pick up the stuff. Well, Jesus said to two of his disciples, come here. I have an errand for you to run. Why two, not one? It, it would have been easy for one disciple to go and, and bring home a colt. Well, maybe this is a, a little nod toward the work that Jesus had already done. As he made his disciples into apostles, as he brought 70 together at one point and sent them out two by two to go into and prepare the cities that he was going to go into. I think he brought together two because this is an image of the sentness of God's people, God's disciples, that in this world, in this time, God has elected to be a needy God. And he's elected to do his primary work through flesh and blood people who have placed their self at his disposal and who are obedient to his call. God could evangelize the nations through angels, through crop dusters with signs flying behind them, piloted by people from another planet. But God has chosen to use flesh and blood people. One of the needs in this text for this Messiah King was a need for some disciples who would do what he said. Years ago, Ian Bounce said, people, he said, men. Men are God's method. People are God's method. Men and women are God's method. Well, we're always looking for better methods, and God, Bounce said, is looking for some better people. People who would say yes. He said, come here, I got a job for you to do. I want you to go get a donkey, which leads us to the second need. Jesus had need for a donkey. A couple of things about this donkey, that this needy Messiah. Uh, a couple of things about this donkey. One, it was borrowed. If you were the Messiah of the world, wouldn't you be able to have your own donkey? The best of the best. 
Well, here is Jesus going into Jerusalem with a borrowed donkey. Craig Keener said, In antiquity, the vast majority of people, including Christians, were poor. Knowing that their Lord Jesus had to borrow his royal mount would have encouraged them. Jesus was a needy Messiah. He had a small group of women that were funding his ministry. You could read about it in the Gospel of Luke. He had people who were coming alongside and, and helping. And when it came to the Palm Sunday, the great day, he didn't have his own herald trumpets. He had a borrowed donkey. Another thing about that donkey is that it, it's a prophetic animal. In, in the other tellings, in the other Gospels, you had a direct quote from the book of Zechariah about the one who would come riding on the donkey. Back when I was in high school, I had a good friend named Dusty Culpepper, and Dusty's grandfather was the pastor of the Evangel Temple Church, this massive Pentecostal church in our town, just this huge, huge church. Uh, And his grandfather was a character, fully loaded character. Uh, And Dusty wanted to to have a pickup truck, and he'd been saving for a pickup truck, and he wanted to buy a pickup truck. And right as he, he collected the money, he was about to go buy his pickup truck, his grandfather called him and he said, Dusty, you don't need that pickup truck anymore. And Dusty thought maybe his grandfather had bought a pickup truck and he could use that money for college or something else. He said, why not? He said, because I bought you a donkey from the state of Louisiana. They were on sale for $5. (laughs) And he said, but Papa, I don't want a donkey. I want a truck. He said, you're not far from the school. You can get down to school on a donkey and carry all your books. You can take that donkey to football practice. You'd be, think about it. All the girls would talk about you, Dusty. You came in on a donkey. And he said, Papa, I don't want a donkey. He said, are you saying you're better than your Lord? He rode a donkey. And Dusty appealed to his grandfather's high view of Scripture. And he said, it was prophesied, Papa, he didn't have a choice. (laughs) Indeed, this is a, a picture of the hopes of God's people. The hopes of God's people that their king would indeed come. Jesus fulfilled the longings and the hopes of his people. What he did in this world, he did according to scripture. He's the centerpiece of the story. He is the story. That donkey was borrowed, but it was prophetic. It was ceremonial. They put him on the cult. It had never been broken. You read in the book of Numbers around chapter 19 where ceremonial animals were not to be broken, to be beast of burden. This was a ceremonial animal taking the sacrifice, the sacrificed king, to his appointed destination. Twice already, Jesus had prophesied his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. His face had been turned toward Jerusalem. And this animal was bringing him to his destiny. And it was royal. If you go back in 1 Kings, first chapter, there is the picture of the coronation of Solomon. And in that scene, Solomon is placed on David's donkey and brought forward as he was made king. And here, another descendant of David, 
one that far surpassed the hopes and dreams that sat upon Solomon's head. Here he comes, riding this royal animal into the city. Jesus was preaching the kind of sermon that you preach when words aren't enough. He painted him a picture. He came into the city and he presented himself as King Messiah. Listen to what Malcolm Talbert said about that. He said, Jesus presents his claim to Israel. He is Israel's King Messiah, but he does so in a way that repudiates the militaristic, nationalistic ambitions which were projected on the Messiah. Your king has come. Your king is coming. Different. Different than the hopes you have in your pocket. Same as the hopes you have buried in the fiber of your being, in the marrow of your bones, placed there by God himself. That you don't even know how to articulate. Your king is coming. And he looks like this. Jesus could have ridden into town with a thundering army. He could have come into town looking like some type of dealer or salesman campaigning for Ubermensch. But he didn't. Others did. Many others did. He didn't. There were others that, that gathered disciples and thundered into the city. He came according to Scripture, on the foal of a donkey. Today, as we begin this most holy of weeks, we need to be reminded that our King Messiah did come, and He came bearing needs to illustrate to us how life was to be lived in this earth in humble obedience to the Father and for the sacrificial good of others. As He came, as he came, they started to sing. The multitude of the disciples, they began singing. And they began to sing because of the deeds. If the Lord had, had some needs, he also was a Lord of great, great deeds. And it said because of the deeds of power they had, they had seen, they started to shout and they started to sing. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. My challenge to you this week is to take a Bible. Maybe go down and buy one of those paperback ones that you've never read before without any underline or highlight uh, and, and read that Gospel of Luke. Through Wednesday, read the first 18 chapters. And then, then on into Sunday, read 19 to 24. If you go back and you read those, those first 18 chapters, you can underline some of these deeds that they had witnessed. What did they see him do? They saw him preach and proclaim the kingdom of God. They saw him heal the sick, to touch the lepers. They saw him, they saw him confront the powers of the adversary in darkness and minister deliverance to those who were bound by evil. They saw him forgive sins. This got him in trouble a time or two. But they saw him give forgiveness for sin. And, and oh, along chapter 15, you can spend a little time in those great parables of lostness and, and foundness and, and God's delight in forgiving sin. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him prophesy 
his suffering and his death and his resurrection. They saw him know the hearts and the minds and the thoughts of those that were in his presence. They saw him. They saw him speak to water and wind. And nature obeyed him. They saw these things. And all of these things they saw, they were signs, they were wonders, they were pointing to something else. They were pointing to something that they were grasping for and longing for. And they were pointing to something that was breaking into the earth now. They were signposts of the reign of God, of the kingdom of God. Having seen these things, these disciples of Jesus having watched him ride in on the colt, that animal, they sang. They sang peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. See, we have a hard time understanding Jesus because we've almost completely washed heaven from our minds. Chip Kiner's number of years ago before his, his death, he wrote this about heaven and earth. In the scripture, they're almost always coupled together, and he gave this definition. He says, earth is that part of creation that is within our power and under human dominion. Heaven is that part of creation in which God himself exercises dominion and which we do not know intimately until we are at last fully reconciled to God. Therefore, heaven is that part of creation which we can only receive as opposed to that which we can control, employ, manipulate, and exploit. It is the realm of grace for it comes entirely as God's gift and represents the fullness of all gifts. Among other things, heaven represents an aspect of reality that we can only know and respond to in terms of adoration. We can in no sense possess it. Therefore, our response to things of this earth is properly thanksgiving, and our response to the matters of heaven, praise. The deeds of power they witnessed, they were signs pointing to heaven, to that realm of God's creation where he has absolute control. And they'd seen those signs in the midst of the earth, in a place where God's reign battles principalities and powers, dark things, death, sin, hell, the grave. They saw those droplets of grace in the earth and they saw those forces rise up against it. They heard those voices that day saying, make them be quiet. Tell them to quit talking like that. Peace in heaven and you on this rented donkey. He said, no. If their voices are silent, the stones would cry out because the whole earth is in, is in birth pains, groaning for the manifestation, the kingdom, the reign of God. They're signs. This needy Messiah, this one who works through disciples and rides on rented animals, is this one full of deeds of power. And all of these deeds pointed to a day where his reign would be without rival.
and his invitation from Palm Sunday to this morning in Central Texas. His invitation is to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. His invitation, if you'll go back and read the gospel, is to receive the kingdom as, as a child would receive a gift. His invitation is to having received the kingdom to serve the king two by two, one at a time, as a congregation, speaking the words of Christ and doing the deeds of Jesus. On that day, there were many who adored him because that is the proper posture in the face of heavenly realities. And there were those that criticized. What will we do with this man on this donkey? We're in a season now where he has offered us the terms of peace. He came, he lived, he suffered, he died, he was raised. Fleming, Fleming Rutledge said that the passion and the resurrection, that's, that's one dramatic act. Not multiple events, one thing. He came and he, he lived, he died, he was raised so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our life could be absorbed into his, so that he could suck that power out of us. And give us his hope. So that we could serve. And we. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And we follow him as our king and our lord. And we do what he calls us to do. And we long. For the full and complete inbreaking of his kingdom. And we live with that hope in our heart. And it gives us pregnant courage in the present. Knowing that the one who rode on the donkey would ride, would ride on the white steed of revelation and make all his enemies a footstool. Jesus came and he battled sin and we battle that in our own hearts and our lives and we do it in the power and the grace he provides. He battled sickness. He battled shame. He, he battled the adversary and he battled death. And one day, all of those enemies will totally and completely be defeated. And we must decide today who we shall serve. Will we serve the legions of death that have a grip on the world? The power of sin and the power of darkness? The glaring idol of self? Or will we bow before the humble Messiah King? who in the most upside-down kind of way showed us how to defeat all that is lined up against the God of grace and glory. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for giving us opportunities again and again to readjust our lives in light of the revelation of your character in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. Forgive our arrogance. Forgive our pride. Forgive our confession that we have no need. You came into this earth showing us the wisdom of confessing needs. To you we say, help us. And God, we offer ourselves to you afresh as your disciples send us. We will go. God, I pray for anyone here today who's in a place of decision. If it's about confessing you publicly, I pray today that they would come and do that. If it's about joining this church, I pray they would come. If they're struggling with decisions about their life, God, I pray that they would make them conforming to your will and your ways. God, you have given us choice and freedom. Help us to take that precious gift and honor you with it through the help and the power you've provided us in your spirit. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment. As we do, if you have commitments that you would make public, we invite you to come for God's glory and for your good. David?